Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher with over 15 years of experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. Once you listen to today's episode, visit my website at barebonesyoga.com for free resource guides for teachers. Download any and all of them, including one of my most popular tools, my sequence building template. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 136. So I am recording this on Monday, June 21st, 2021. 21 is my lucky number. So I always like the 21st day of the month. And this is also 2021. So it's June 21, 21. So very fortuitous day for me. I have a lot of good feelings about today. Plus it is the second day of summer. Yesterday was the first day and the summer solstice and the longest day of the year. So there's just so, so many good vibes um, just out there. Summer is my favorite season and I've been doing a whole bunch of yard work. If you haven't checked it out on Instagram, take a look at yesterday's post. I'm so proud of this flower bed that I have been working on for the past month. And yesterday I completely finished it um, after multiple trips over the past month to Home Depot to get supplies. So, and the weather's just been great here in Boston. So I hope that you are enjoying the beginning of your summer. Um, I wanted to start out today. I don't know if any of you play golf. I play golf, watch golf. I have watched golf on TV for, oh my God, 25 years. I absolutely love it. And um, yesterday, there was this really amazing story in the golf world. John Rahm, who's from Spain, though he lives in the United States, he um, recently was a couple of weeks ago playing in the Memorial and a tournament. That's a tournament. And he was in the lead by six strokes. So it was really clear heading into the last day that unless he completely combusted, he was going to win. And Earlier in the week, when he arrived at the event location, he had disclosed to the tournament officials that he had been around someone who had COVID. And he, I believe, had one vaccine at that point, but hadn't had his second. So they allowed him to play. And they basically said, um, you need to submit to daily testing. And every day they tested him and he came up negative. And then the Saturday round, he went out to play and he was coming into the clubhouse after finishing his round. And again, he was head by ahead by six strokes and the tournament officials, he, he hadn't even stepped off the course. He was getting ready to go into the clubhouse and submit his playing card for the day. And they pulled him aside and they basically, I mean, you didn't know in the moment, you could just tell that he was very upset, but the announcer's 
pretty quickly found out what had happened, which is that the officials had retested his COVID test from that morning, which had come up positive, and they retested it to make sure it was a correct result. All the while, he was out there playing his uh, third round. And literally, when he was coming off the course, they got the repeat test result, which was also positive. And so they told him, you're positive for COVID, you immediately need to quarantine yourself and forfeit the rest of this tournament. So here's someone who hadn't won a major yet, I don't believe a major tournament. And he was basically in the lead and most likely going to win. And he had to basically go home and quarantine. Plus his wife and young baby was there and he couldn't see them, obviously. His parents were there, he couldn't be around them. So he left and someone else stepped into the front spot and won. And um, it's been about two weeks, at least two weeks since then. And this past weekend was um, the US Open, which is one of golf's major tournaments, one of the four majors. And there were a lot of different people who were in the lead throughout the event. And that's pretty typical of a golf tournament. Um, but yesterday he was pretty much neck and neck with the leader, Louis Oosthuizen, and he sunk a couple putts in his, uh, on his, on 17 and 18 and he was in the lead, but Oosthuizen was behind him by two holes. So John Rahm went into the clubhouse and he waited for Louis Oosthuizen to finish. And on 18, Louis Oosthuizen hit it very wayward off the tee. And because of that, he was not able to uh, to catch and beat John. So John won. So here's someone who uh, now won two weeks after being quarantined because he tested positive. Um, and it was such an amazing, not really a comeback, but it was such an amazing turn of events. And when they interviewed John, and this is why I wanted to share this with you, but I needed to give you that whole backstory. Um, when they interviewed him after, they said, John, you know, what are you feeling right now? And he said, you know what? I knew that as awful and horrible as that situation was uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I will tell you, he even admitted in an interview that it was on him that he hadn't uh, aggressively pursued getting his first and second shot in a, in a timely way. And so he he full well knew that his um, lack of focus on making getting vaccinated a priority basically not only cost him millions of dollars, which he would have received if he had won the memorial, but all the drama that ensued afterwards, having to be quarantined, not being able to be around his new baby and his family. So um, so anyway, so, so he's coming off the tee yesterday and they interview him, you know, how are you feeling? And he said, you know what, as awful as that situation was, I knew that something good was gonna come of it because something good always comes from things that are bad. And he said, the other thing is there's something about this course. I love San Diego. My wife and I love San Diego. As soon as I got off the plane, I said to her, you know, I know something good is going to happen here. And he said, I'm a big believer in karma. And I just felt like things were gonna come back around for me. And when I was listening to him, I mean, there is so much of yoga in golf from a mental standpoint. They say golf is a mental game much more than a physical game. I think it's pretty even between the two, but it's abundantly clear that if you uh, 
don't have a good sense of a lot of the themes we talk about in yoga, being present, not being attached to results, being in the moment, not being attached to ego, all these things are present themes in yoga teaching, in yoga practice, in Buddhism, and they absolutely apply to golf. And the reason I wanted to bring up this story is because I think it's really important for us as yoga teachers, especially right now, but always um, to not only really be aware of those themes, but to look at how we are embodying them in our own lives. You know, when things happen to us, you know, even outside of our training and our studying and our teaching, just in our lives, you know, are we really calling on some of these central themes of the practice to help us stay grounded? And then when it does come to our path as teachers, you know, are we looking at things that we might consider a defeat, you know, that class that didn't go well, that job you didn't get, that gig you didn't get, um, you know, the frustration you're having over not understanding anatomy, um, the cues that you're struggling, you know, are we looking at these things and letting them define us? Or are we moving past them, looking for the lesson and continuing to move forward? And then the other thing is, you know, when he talked about that experience of getting off the plane and feeling like, you know, I love this place. This is a place that good things happen in, you know, are, that's just, I think that shows that he is in tune to not only his intuition, but the power of the universe, the power of the moment. And those are things that, you know, I think as teachers, we um, want to be aware of those things as well. You know, those are the kinds of moments that come up when we teach a class, when we have a conversation with a student, uh, and even just for ourselves, you know, being aware of the impact of the universe and looking for those little signs, you know, those signs of, you know, really feeling congruent with what's happening around you. And it can be really, really powerful. So I hope this is making sense. I'm, I'm struggling to put words to feelings I was having yesterday when I was watching him give his post round interview. So I hope I'm doing an okay job of this. And I hope you're kind of getting, getting the gist of it. So anyway, <laughs> moving on from that, I want to start out with a couple of announcements. Number one, I have brought back my blog. My blog is back. For those of you who are unaware, I was a blogger, I guess you could say, for many, many years. I have so much content out there on the internet. And for many years, I wrote not only for my own blog, but I was hired by Mind Body Green and Do You Yoga and Yoga International. And, you know, I would write for other people as well. And over time, I really let those other things drop because. I don't know, quite frankly, sometimes I would write articles and they would post them with these really gratuitous pictures. And it was just, it became kind of an, uh, a relationship with, with some of these outlets where it was clear they were just looking for content and weren't really looking to develop a relationship with me and really weren't looking to curate my contribution in a way that was consistent with how I wanted it to be presented. And nothing, hey, you know what? to each his own. It was really something that I needed to listen to in myself and, and break those ties. And, you know, keep in mind when you provide content to these outlets, um, many times they'll say, you know, oh, you're going to get so much, you know, 
uh, uh, eyeballs on your content. And this is, you know, such a good, even though we're not paying you, this is a really good thing because you're, and I think that that is true to a certain extent. I think though you need, as if you're someone who is blogging about yoga, you need to really be sure that you feel a congruency between what you're doing, uh, your creations and how it's presented. Um, because if in any way, it doesn't seem to be consistent with the message that you want to share and how you want people to receive it. Um, that's really something to look at, you know, because you don't want your work kind of morphed in a way that isn't consistent with how you want to come across. And so, you know, after I pulled back from contributing to those different sites, I um, continued to write for myself and all my content was just on my own website. The blog was one page. And this was long before I had this podcast. I, I only started this podcast about three years ago. And um, the other day I was just thinking, God, I haven't written in so long. I have two books, which you can buy on Amazon, Stretched and, um, uh, oh God, <laughs> um, what is my other book name? Oh, this is so, this is so ridiculous. Uh, structure and spirit. Oh my God. I cannot believe I'm actually looking at a pile of them. Can you, that is so embarrassing. Stretched and structure and structure and spirit are my two books. And I was saying to myself, gosh, it's been such a long time since I've just had thoughts coming from my head and fingers typing on the keys. So as analog as it seems, I'm kind of feeling like bringing some of these analog tools back is a good thing. I actually just bought a traditional clock with a clock face on it for my guest room when my parents came to visit uh, uh, last week. And I love it. I love that it's not digital. And, you know, I think of a blog as an analog type of thing as well. And even though I have the podcast here and I'll continue to do the podcast, I invite you to uh, take a look at my most recent blog post, which you'll get by just visiting my website, barebonesyoga.com. The blog is one of the sections of the website. And I'm really committed to just having this blog come back, um, be about short um, entries. So it'll be a less than five minute read for you. And um, it'll be on a myriad of topics. Sometimes it'll be me teaching something about anatomy. Sometimes it'll just be musings about teaching life, anatomy, um, things like we talked about at the beginning of this episode. So I really hope you take a moment out of your week. I'll be blogging at least once a week and take a look over there at the blog. Also, if you're on my VIP mailing list, you'll always get the blog emailed to you uh, this week's post because I send it out to people on my mailing list. So that's an update there on the blog. The other thing I wanted to let you know is that recently, and I mentioned this, I believe in last week's episode, I converted my monthly membership for the Bare Bones Yoga Practice Portal to a one-time investment. And I did that because the, the days of memberships, I think, are still out there. But I really think um, for me, the membership was created because of the pandemic. And it was a practice portal where people could log in and always see new content and practice with me live, practice with my recorded sessions. And now that the pandemic is winding down, I decided to convert it from a membership to a one-time investment. However, over the past year, I've put almost 100 sequences in there, everything from 
short anatomy-based sequences to longer traditional classes, to guided meditations, to journal exercises. Um, there's even a research section. There are recorded workshops. I was on a, a huge phase where I did about seven workshops in six weeks and um, or eight weeks. And all of those are in there. It is chock full and you can use it to practice with, but you can also use it as a teacher, as a teaching tool to give you inspiration around cueing with anatomy in mind, anatomy uh, focused sequences. And while it won't teach you anatomy, right? Like I have my own program called the Blueprint Learning Program. That is how I teach you anatomy for teaching. However, if you want to kind of see the end game, so to speak, you can invest in the portal. It's just $99. You get everything all at once and you can go through it at your own pace. Um, you can practice to the sequences. You can just watch some of the sequences. Maybe you want to create your own sequence around hips and you want to look at the portal and look at some of the sequences I have that are on hips and blend some of those things in there. You know, it's really a great investment and a very low cost one for all you get. And the coolest thing is when you're in my Blueprint Learning Program, you get the portal for free. So if you invest in the practice portal for $99 and decide after going through it, you know what? I really wanna learn the anatomy and you decide to um, enroll in my Blueprint Learning Program, I'm gonna credit you the 99 bucks you already spent on the portal to defray your cost of the Blueprint Learning Program. So it's a really good deal and I hope you take advantage of it. All you need to do to check out the offer and sign up is on my website homepage, it's a little icon that you'll see, the Bare Bones Yoga Practice Portal. So just go to barebonesyoga.com. You can read the latest blog post, and then you can also check out the portal. And um, like I said, 99 bucks, uh, a really, really good deal. And you'll have ongoing, and I will be adding new content to it. Even though it's not a membership where I was adding new content every month, I will definitely be adding new content to it. Matter of fact, I just last week added a new meditation and I just need to upload it. And um, it's, it's a really cool one with a cool theme. So I hope you take advantage of that. So for today's episode, I wanted to talk about this theme of getting back to teaching post pandemic. I was listening to somebody else's podcast that has nothing to do with yoga. And I can't remember the context in which it came up, but they were talking about getting back to quote unquote normal life after uh, the pandemic. And even though the pandemic isn't done, done, right? It's still out there. There are cases still out there. Chances are where you live, the incidence rate has significantly gone down. The restrictions have significantly eased and life does feel less restrictive and more quote unquote back to normal. I know for myself, I ate inside a restaurant for the first time a week and a half ago. And then again, this past weekend, and um, it, it does feel weird. <laughs> um, and I am a little concerned still, because I know that there are people out there that are not vaccinated. Matter of fact, I had lunch with a friend just over the weekend that I hadn't seen in over a year and neither this person or this person's partner are vaccinated and they have no plans to. So, you know, without getting into the story of that or the reasons for that or any conversation about that, you know, I think the reality is there is, at least for me, a sense of just 
a little bit of nervousness around being around people inside enclosed spaces, but I am vaccinated, um, both vaccine vaccines, and I feel really, really good about them and their efficacy. So I'm not really, really worried, but I think, you know, just the idea of at least for me going back and doing some things that I hadn't been doing for over a year just feels really different. And I started to think about this in relationship to teaching. Um, you know, the, the place I moved into in January, I do have space in my house to dedicate to a yoga studio. So I built, uh, well, I didn't build the house, <laughs> but I set up that room that fits four people exactly how I would want to outfit it for a home-based yoga studio. And I've started having people come to the house every Tuesday at 530 um, for yoga. And so if you are listening and you live in the Boston area, uh, let me know, go on my Instagram, go on my website. You'll see the information on the website for how you sign up for class. Um, you know, the idea though is, when I was listening to this topic on this other person's podcast about getting back to life post pandemic, um, or as the pandemic is easing, it got me thinking about what does that look like for us as yoga teachers? Because, you know, and this is, I don't think people are really talking about this. I feel like, you know, in one day, everything shut down and everything popped up online for students. And everything just kind of started rolling forward in this alternate mode of providing yoga services. And, you know, because all of us as teachers basically stopped teaching, we stopped seeing each other. We stopped talking to each other. We kind of went into our own little hermit modes to, to try to quote unquote, you know, survive what was happening both financially and emotionally and certainly physically and mentally and, you know, health-wise, all of it. And it's kind of, you know, now that we're in this stage, it's amazing to me that, you know, like, oh my God, like what are people doing? And, you know, I actually put out a request and I'll, I'll put it out here as well. I would love to have uh, teachers on my podcast to interview them about what's going on in your teaching right now. What challenges are you facing? You know, what kinds of things have you learned about yourself in the past year? What kind of things are you going to be doing? What kind of questions do you have about anatomy? What kind of, you know, business ideas do you have that you want to flush through? I'm looking for those kinds of stories um, from and questions from teachers to have and to have those conversations on my podcast. I think they're is a need to, to have these kinds of conversations out in the open so other people can hear them, so other people can learn from them, so other people can feel like they're not the only ones having these questions, feeling these ways. So if you're out there and any of what I just said resonates with you, I want you to contact me, tell me a little bit about what you'd want to talk about on the podcast, and I'll see about getting you on. You can just send me a DM on Instagram regarding that. Um, so today I wanted to talk a little bit about this, you know, this topic of, okay, now that things are easing up with restrictions and the pandemic is easing up in terms of its prevalence in society, um, at least here in the United States, somewhat depending on where you live, but in general, um, what, what does that mean for us as teachers? Because what I don't think we can do is just go back to what it was like before. I mean, 
for me personally, both studios I taught at for over 10 years are gone. They're done. They're shut down forever. And even though I believe one of them is doing things online, um, the other one is done, completely done. So, you know, there is, for me personally, there is no infrastructure in place anymore that allows me to go back to yoga teaching as it was before the last class I taught on March 15th, 2020. And to be honest with you, that's okay with me. I mean, don't get me wrong. I loved the schedule I had and I loved my students and I loved the studios I taught at. You know, however, I think this is an opportunity for me at, personally as a teacher to create what I want, you know, not only in my own house, but to deliver a kind of yoga in a way that really resonates with me and how I want to come across as a teacher, what I feel uniquely qualified. And I don't mean qualified in an academic training sort of way. I almost mean in like being connected to true spirit, you know, you know what that's like as a teacher, even if you're a newer teacher, you know what it feels like to teach a class and you feel really connected to the people there. And when you're teaching in that way, you are uniquely qualified to do that. And yeah, do you need to be trained? Do you need to understand anatomy? Of course. But in this sense, the unique qualifications are some of what I was talking about earlier when I was talking about John Ron. It is that also that ability to connect to source, to connect to authenticity, to have the fucking courage to stand up and be seen and not worry about being judged. Like, I hate to say it, but that's a lot of time, a lot of times what blocks teachers from being really authentic is that they're so in their heads about what are people going to think about me? And a lot of it is because of social media, right? And I don't want to get on a, on a tangent here ranting about social media, but honestly, friends, like if you feel triggered by social media, just stop it. And I don't mean stop being triggered. I mean, stop looking at it. You know, give yourself a break. I try over the weekends not to post, not to look at social media that much. And, you know, I kind of consider myself a pretty avid user of it because in part because of my business, I like to, you know, get out there and put myself out there and get the word out about what I'm offering. Um, you know, and, and I also, to a certain extent, I do like social media. I like seeing what other people are up to. I like being inspired by other things, you know, because the Olympic trials are on now I'm following all these Olympians. I love that. I love that. I have access to seeing them. However, by the same token, there's a lot of things about social media that trigger me. I don't follow people that trigger me. I don't follow people that when I look at their posts, I, I start to get those feelings of jealousy. Is that on me that I do? Sure. But why am I going to continue to stick my hand in the fire? I'm not. So I don't follow that kind of thing. So I want you to just really, really be in tune to social media's effect on you as a teacher and really, you know, take control. Because remember, <laughs> the whole idea of your phone and your social media and all the people the, that are behind the scenes, whether it's, you know, 
the people who created Facebook or, you know, all of it is to keep you engaged and to, and to take the control away from you and give it to them. So if you're starting to feel like you're out of control and you're lacking control when it comes to your phone and social media, take a deep breath, take a step back and take control back. So I got off on a tangent there and I didn't want to, but I did. So point being, you know, going back to teaching now um, is really, I think, a different time. And, you know, in some ways, some of what has been lost because of the pandemic is not coming back. Right. And I, and I think to a certain extent, you know, this is another part of this whole situation that teachers haven't had a sense to really talk through. I mean, we haven't had a sense really to say goodbye to any of our colleagues that we worked with, you know, we don't know where they are, many of them, we just kind of all dispersed. And so I think on some level, you know, not processing that and not really thinking through that and having time to have any real closure around that has had its impact. I know it's had its impact on me. Matter of fact, over the weekend, uh, I randomly ran into someone and she used to assist me, not in teaching, but she used to check people in and help me clean up the studio after my class on Monday nights at one of the studios I taught at. And I randomly ran into her and I hadn't seen her since my last class in March. And I was like, oh my God, what are you up to since then? She's gotten married and all this. So, you know, again, that just, it's just the whole situation is obviously so surreal. None of us expected it. I, I think the impact of it is still yet to be known in terms of all the different nooks and crannies of our lives that have been impacted and will only be known as we keep, continue to move forward. Again, getting back to you know this idea about teaching and how this has impacted teaching, I, I just want you to just kind of, you know, take a moment if you haven't really acknowledged, maybe journal about it, maybe reach out to some of the people that you used to uh, teach with if you're feeling you know, a desire to reconnect with them. I know for myself, I started to make a list at the end of May around Memorial Day weekend of all the things I wanted to accomplish this summer, June, July, and August being summer. And one of the first things I did was made a list of people I wanna reconnect with. And so I'm starting to kind of tick down the list. And, you know, part of that is to reconnect with some teachers that I haven't talked to in, in a year <laughs> or more. So take the time to go through that. I, I think that that processing, that mental processing, that emotional processing is really, really important. Now, of course, I'm speaking here to teachers who have been teaching. You could be listening and you could be someone, and, and I don't want to overwhelm you if this is you, you could be someone who just became a yoga teacher during the pandemic because you took advantage of the plethora of online options to get your 200 hour teacher training level of registry with Yoga Alliance. And, and that's great. And I don't want you to listen to any of this and think, oh my God, what did I do? You know, welcome, welcome to an amazing uh, way to share yoga, to teach yoga. It's absolutely amazing, most wonderful, wonderful, uh, vocation you could ever have, um, whether you do it full-time, whether you do it part-time, whether you do it every once in a while, whatever it is, you know, welcome. And, and of course you did not make a mistake. I, I think though, part of what I'm talking to right now are those teachers who have been out there 
and um, and had kind of the rug pulled out from underneath them. And notwithstanding what all of this has done uh, to us from the perspective of revenue. I mean, for someone like me, I don't have another job. This is my job. And believe me, it is my choice. I had a long corporate career and I don't want to have to go back or don't want to go back to it. I don't want to say have to. I, I loved what I did in the corporate world. I just know that I'm in my dharma. This is what I'm meant to do. And um, however, because of that, it meant that for me, when all studios closed, um, that was a big revenue hit for me. And, you know, thankfully I have a whole bunch of non-studio teaching things that I offer. The main thing being my blueprint learning program. So I was able to shore that up. I was able to enroll more teachers in it. I continue to have that be the anchor of what I do. Um, and the teaching live classes, I don't want to say it's secondary, but it's a piece. It's a spoke in the wheel, you know, but I want to just give a shout out if you're listening and, you know, whether you have, you know, whether you're working and teaching, whatever your scenario is, you know, there's no denying that the loss of revenue from the classes, you know, had to have affected everybody in some way. So again, I wanted to just start out here by just acknowledging because, my goodness, I don't, I haven't really seen any platform, any podcast, maybe someone listening right now knows that this conversation is happening somewhere in the world. If it is great on some platform, on some podcast, great. I just wanted to, to bring this up. So now that we've kind of talked through some of the, some of the things that you may be feeling and have may have happened, what I want to do, um, now is really kind of pivot this conversation from that, like, how are we feeling? What happened? Maybe a sense of loss, some of the emotions attached to it to, well, what can we be doing now? Um, because things are different, <laughs> right? Things are, you know, like I said, a lot of these studios are not coming back. They're never coming back. So things are different. You can't just go back. I can't just go back to these two studios I taught at before. Plus I've moved. I used to live in the back Bay of Boston. Now I live in Chestnut Hill. That's a good 20 minutes away. It wouldn't even logistically make sense for me to go back to those two studios and teach there if they were even open. So for you, you may have a similar situation. You may have a situation where you can't go back to what you did before. So no kidding, things are different. But even if that's not your situation, Let's say you are a teacher who did not teach before the pandemic because you didn't have your ROIT 200 or you hadn't taken the teacher training and, um, and now you do. So now you're like, now what do I do? It's a totally different landscape than it was before I even took this training in terms of a whole bunch of things. So let's talk through some of that. So the first thing I want you to do, you know, maybe you're like chomping at the bit now and you're thinking, oh, great, Karen's going to give us a list. Let me get my notebook. Let me like write down all these things I should be doing. No, <laughs> the first thing I want you to do is something so critically important. And it's this, what do you want to do? What do you feel uniquely qualified to do? That's the most important place to begin, because if you just start by calling studios and, oh, I have my 200 hour and I want to want to teach or, oh, I've been teaching for five years or X number of years in the pandemic. Obviously, I wasn't teaching and now I'm ready to get back. Are you like before you kind of jump to that somewhat obvious thing to do, which in most cases is going to be call a studio, get in touch with the studio to see if they're looking for teachers why not do something different 
And why not do something that is really going to set you up for everything again? It just goes back to that John Rom conversation. You know, doing what really lights you up, doing what makes you feel connected to spirit, doing what makes you feel like you are acting in a way that is only uniquely a way that you can be because you're teaching in a way that's consistent with how you want to come across where, you, you know, it's the same thing about me in that blogging conversation I had before. I knew those weren't good fits for me. I knew writing for myself was a much better fit. So I want you to really um, stop yourself if you're ready to do the knee jerk reaction thing and take a couple deep breaths, spend a couple days meditating on what is going to come to you as an inspiration for how do I want to show up as a teacher? Where do I want to be doing this? What kind of people do I want to impact? What am I uniquely qualified to offer? You know, it's the same thing. I love when teachers write me uh, an email and they say, um, I need to get CEUs. Um, can you tell me what courses you have? And I'm just like, I almost want to say, don't bother because that's like such a lame question to ask. If you're just looking to get CEUs, I, I almost don't want you to get one of my courses. Right. And I, I almost don't want you to enroll in the blueprint learning program because, you know, you're just you're chasing the wrong thing. The CEUs, the hours, it's all I hate to say it. It's all kind of arbitrary. 200, 500, 300. You know, somebody drew a line in the sand one day and said, these are hours. And so if you're chasing hours, you're really chasing the wrong thing, in my opinion. Much better thing to ask is, you know, I've done some self-analysis. And I'd really like to know X, Y, Z, because I want to build the skills ABC. Do you have something that can help me with that? That to me is a fucking awesome question, because that to me shows that you have done the self-analysis to really think through what you want to do rather than being influenced by all this outside stuff. It's like, I was listening to somebody talk the other day about, I can't remember if they were talking about kids or something. And they were saying, oh yeah, when I had lunch with my friend and the the, the partner, my friend's partner um, was saying in regards to their children who are teens, older teens, like it's so hard for kids to have their own opinions these days because there's so much influence on them between social media and the news and other friends. And this is kind of the same thing with yoga teachers. I feel like it's so difficult for teachers to stop and just really meditate on all the stuff I said before. What are you inspired to offer? Why? How are you uniquely qualified to offer it? And then when it comes to ongoing training, rather than being influenced by all this outside stuff, why don't you think about how is your teaching going? How is your teaching going? What's not going well for you? What are you really excited to learn? What are you really excited to offer that you can't offer now because you really don't feel like you have the knowledge? Like those are really amazing things to think through and to let drive your decisions about what other trainings to get. And guess what? I bet that when you do that self-discovery work, whatever you enroll in, you're going to get the hours anyway. So don't lead with the, I want to get the hours that, you know, I don't know. I just, I think that's kind of lame anyway. So I got off track again. Sorry, friends. So rather than the, the whole point of this is the, the idea here is to start out with what you are uniquely qualified to offer, what you 
really, really want to do. Now, once you hone in on that, look for ways to create your own opportunities. You know, I am super fortunate and I have never had this before in my over 20 years. Well, it's almost 20 years of teaching. I've never had home space available. Um, I have taught in my small apartment in the back bay before, but the most I could do was two people, really just one. So I'm really lucky to have this. In the past, I've rented space uh, to do small private uh, events and sessions and things like that. Um, but keep in mind, you know, looking for ways to create your own opportunities doesn't necessarily have to look like renting space. It could mean a lot of different things. I want you to just kind of right now think about that as a global idea. Look for ways to create your own opportunities. Now, of course, look, the mainstay of how consumers access yoga will be and still is they go to a studio. Maybe it's in a gym, maybe it's a freestanding studio. You know, so yes, I'm not saying don't pursue that. Just be sure that it's something that's consistent with how you want to teach. I've had a number of teachers in my blueprint learning program who say they don't want to teach in studios. It's just not something they want to do. So if it is for you something you want to do, then absolutely take some time, do a little evaluation of within five to 10 miles of where you live, what studios are open, what studios have you know, made it through this challenging time and are open. And so that absolutely, if you have an interest in teaching in a studio, should be something on your list. Another thing though, is, you know, to look at other settings that you could teach in besides studios, whether it's you want to teach with children or you want to teach with a particular population and there's a particular place where those folks get together, whether it's in schools, whether it's in a, a, a church or some other religious, you know, kind of organization, um, whether it's for a mother's group or, uh, I don't know, the 4-H club. I have no idea. You know, you know what I'm saying? To kind of expand your mind beyond studios to looking at other settings where you could teach. Um, now, I'm going to tell you something else that maybe you've thought about. I don't know. Consider teaching for free. I mean, friends, I got to tell you, when I started offering classes here in the house, June 1, I told people for the month of June, these classes are free because guess what? I need to teach. I want to teach live people in person. And I didn't want any barrier to getting them here. You know, I already know it's going to be a little bit of a barrier because I'll admit it's a little bit weird going to somebody's house. You don't really know what it's going to look like and, you know, that kind of thing. So I wanted to create no barriers to getting people here. Um, and so for the month of June, my classes are free. After that, it's 20 bucks a person. And um, however, there's other things you can do where you offer classes for free in other places. You know, think of the places you visit. Think of the places that are around you that aren't necessarily yoga studios, but might be a location, could be a retail location, could be something else where they might be really interested um, to have a yoga teacher teach free yoga. I have students in my blueprint learning program. Uh, you know, one is teaching at a, a farm where there, it's like a equestrian center. One is teaching at a brewery. One is teaching uh, at a park in her neighborhood out of, outside of DC. I mean, there are so many cool things you can do. 
And when you make it free, even though you might be saying, oh my God, Karen, free, why would I want to? Look, there are strategic reasons to offer things for free. And right now, you know, you may have a lot of good reasons to, it doesn't devalue your teaching. I don't want you to think it devalues. If you have a strategic reason for offering free classes, you know, let's say you want to do it initially as a way to encourage people to sign up for your paid experience, which will come down the line. Will everybody make that transfer? No, but does that dissuade you for doing it? No, because you're hoping it's a way to build that, that audience of people. Maybe you have a real interest in building a relationship with the host place, whatever, you know, wherever that is. Maybe like I was saying, you really want to get back to teaching people IRL in real life. And so it makes sense for you to do a short period of time for free. I'm not saying offer free classes forever. I'm just saying, you know, have some strategy around doing it and don't discount the idea of doing something for free. Now, the other thing I'm going to say is just like my blog, somewhat, somewhat of an old school idea, but I'm going to tell you, have business cards on you because guess what? Now is the perfect time when you're out to dinner, when you're meeting people at Starbucks in line, when you're, you know, coming out of Sunday services, if you go to those or some kind, you know, you know what I'm saying? When you are around other people and inevitably the topic of I'm a yoga teacher comes up, um, you're going to give them your card. And you may be like, oh my God, why would I want to give them a card? Cards are outdated. Look, friends, I hate to say it. Business cards are still great. They're super portable. It gives somebody everything you want them to have about you, your contact info, maybe your social media handle, whatever phone number, whatever else. If you want to get fancy, put a QR code on there. I don't know. I'm just saying, don't discount the power of having a business card that you can just easily give somebody. I can tell you when I went out to dinner on Saturday, um, not only at that on that day did I run into that woman that worked with me who I hadn't seen for a year at that studio. I also ran into an old CEO who I worked for over 10 years ago. And we got to talking about yoga because she had practiced yoga at one point. You can be darn sure I gave her my business card and said, you know, we live 20 minutes from each other. If you want to come over Tuesday nights for yoga, you know, gave her when I sat at the table for dinner, there were uh, several couples, the two women there, they both knew I was yoga teachers. We got into a conversation. The women that are coming to the class know these two women. So you can be damn sure I gave them my card. Why don't you guys come? Here's my contact info. Have a business card, people. It is so easy to make Vistaprint or go to your local FedEx Kinkos. Just get 100, get 200, get 500. Just get them, put them in your wallet. You'll always have them to hand out. It's a good way to get, get your name out there, create some opportunity. Um, get all your tools in, our, in order. So have a standard sequence you're going to teach. Um, get your business cards. Have a basic, basic website that you can obviously put the URL on your business card, have a good couple of profiles or headshots that you inevitably might have to give to a studio to put on the website, have a class description written for the class that you teach, the type of class, and have a resume, have a listing of what you've done, your training, your background, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I'm not gonna go into this ad, ad nauseum, 
But I'm just going to make a mention here because it came up in my Facebook group for teachers called the Bare Bones Yoga Anatomy Workgroup. Um, someone posted recently, what's the value of Yoga Alliance and paying dues uh, and being registered with them? I know this is a hot button issue for yoga teachers. I'm going to give you my two second thoughts on this um, for, for, for what, whatever, I don't want to say for what it's worth. Um, I think it's worth something, but you, you be the ultimate decider on whether it's worth anything to you. Here's the deal, people. I've been teaching for a long time. I've been teaching before there was Yoga Alliance. I actually wrote the first agenda for teacher training um, because I worked for Baron Baptiste and was one of the first, we were one of the first schools, quote unquote, to submit to Yoga Alliance. So I've taught before there was Yoga Alliance and I've taught after there was Yoga Alliance. The reality is no one else has ever put their hat in the ring to create an alternate organization for yoga teachers. Right now, the yoga industry has one organization that is Yoga Alliance. And what they basically do, let me say what they don't do. They do not certify teachers. So any of you out there who are saying you are a certified teacher, if you have taken a teacher training that is from a school that is registered with Yoga Alliance, that means you are a registered yoga teacher. If you have been certified, it means, in, in my view, that you have worked individually with a teacher who can personally certify you, meaning they can endorse personally your skills and qualifications because they have worked with you personally. Yoga Alliance never says they certify anybody because they never hold out that they have any personal interaction with the studios, in-person meaning, or the teachers. That's why they are a registry. They are a listing of teachers who have gone through programs that Yoga Alliance doesn't necessarily endorse. They recognize schools, meaning studios who offer programs, um, as adhering to their agenda that they hold out as the agenda for 200-hour training. And because, as all of you probably know, there's no real hands-on oversight between Yoga Alliance and all the schools that are out there, all the studios that are out there offering, offering training, what that translates to in real life is that there are teachers that go through programs and don't feel that they got great training, especially when it comes to learning anatomy. I mean, just about every yoga teacher that enrolls in my program, the Blueprint Learning Program, does it because their 200-hour training did not provide them with sufficient anatomy training. I've had every story in the book from the teacher who was in a 200-hour training and the studio owner basically looked to one of the students in the training who happened to be a physical therapist to teach the anatomy portion. And it was like a three hour section. Is that in compliance with Yoga Alliance standards? No. Does that mean those teachers in that training should not have gone back to Yoga Alliance and said, hey, FYI, this is what happened and we're not happy about it. Like, again, that's not for me to get into. And having said all of this, I am also not saying to you, don't continue to have a relationship with Yoga Alliance because number one, it is the only organization for our industry. Number two, 
almost every yoga studio to hire you is going to ask you if you're a registered yoga teacher with Yoga Alliance. So if you want to, at any point in time, work for a studio, you're probably going to have to be a registered yoga teacher with Yoga Alliance. Number three, the dues are minimal. Friends, this is not like $1,000 a year. This is such a small amount of money to be paying. And so that's why on some level, I'm kind of always marveling at how much just conversation comes up around this. Is it the best scenario? No. You know, I'm a certified personal trainer. I paid a lot of money to get that. I sat for a proctored exam. I had to pass a test, which I actually had to take twice in order to be certified as a personal trainer. And uh, every two years, I believe, uh, I take a re-up exam and pay for that. I just did it this year. So there's more rigor on the personal training side than there is on the yoga side when it comes to really validating that people know what they need to know in order to work as a personal trainer. Now, having said that, again, it doesn't mean we just toss it out. I mean, when I saw the, res, uh, the feedback to the post that this person had posted in my Facebook group, a lot of people wrote things like, oh, I don't bother. Oh, I think it's garbage. You know, look, people, I always, I, that's why I always think social media is actually like the worst way to have any kind of meaningful conversation. You know, let's talk a little bit about nuance here. You know, we can't just say it's nothing. It is something right? It is an organization. I've had students find me because I'm listed on the Yoga Alliance website. I've had teachers find my Blueprint Learning Program because I'm a continuing education provider with them. Does it mean that all the criticisms I brought up about them five minutes ago aren't true? No. But does it mean the end result is I'm going to tell you don't bother? No. So I really, I'm, I'm looking for like a mature, grounded, calm conversation about this and what it seems like always has been the case when the topic of yoga alliance comes up with teachers is that there are these very flippant kind of off the cuff responses that people get that say that i think really give other newer teachers exactly what this woman posted why should i bother and i think that really does a disservice to you all as teachers look if you don't like yoga alliance why don't you put your head out there, put your neck out there and start another organization and create one that does what you think it should do, you know? So, okay, enough on that. The reason I brought up Yoga Alliance is because make sure as you get your teaching tools together in this conversation I'm having with you about um, getting your stuff together to go out there and start putting yourself out there again, one of the things you want to do is make sure your CEUs are up to date, make sure your registration's up to date, you, you're on their website, all of, all of that stuff. If you've taken online programs like teachers during the pandemic that enrolled in the Blueprint Learning Program, I had to you know, make sure they had their graduation certificate from my program so they could upload it on the Yoga Alliance website and get the CEUs for it. And that kind of thing. So make sure all of that is in order. And by the way, if you want to have any one on one conversations with me, like I had with this other teacher this week about Yoga Alliance, just send me a DM. I'm happy to get on the phone with you and talk through it. Um, okay. So the last thing I'm going to say is here is be persistent and organized around what you're doing and make sure that you are operating 
with a plan that's been designed by you and guided by your desires, guided by what you feel inspired to do. Because again, if you're just kind of running around, going, talking to studios, handing out business cards, but you don't have an overall strategy that's infused with your inspiration, then what good is it? You're just kind of all over the place. So really, really, I would highly encourage you start with this idea of sitting for a couple of days, you know, maybe you listen to this podcast episode and you're like, oh my God, I never really thought about any of this. Before you knee jerk start to react, why don't you take, now that I've kind of stoked the fires, why don't you take a couple of days and think through it and meditate and go for long walks and put your damn phone down and just start to see what naturally comes to you as signs right i mean this is so amazing i didn't plan for this episode to come out like this friends i just give myself brief notes but here we are at the end of the episode and it's back to the john rom conversation you know just look for those signs you know when he got off that plane he said to his wife man i love san diego good things are going to happen here look for those signs friends you know when i woke up Saturday morning. I didn't know I was going to run into that woman I used to work with. I didn't know I was going to run into my old CEO. I didn't know I was going to be seated for dinner at a table with a bunch of women who were really looking for information about yoga. You know, these are all signs, right? Be open to it. Um, be, be tuned in and looking for it. And if this conversation sparks your interest in devoting some time to thinking about where do I want my teaching to go now? You know, yes, all of what I talked about earlier, all of that sucks, right? It sucks that studios closed forever. It sucks that we lost a lot of our relationships, you know, with our colleague teachers, at least in terms of how we knew them to be. By the same token, though, there's a huge opportunity now. I would never have had an opportunity to create a home studio space if not for all that's happened. And I absolutely love, I set up the room, I put little tea bags on everybody's props, I set the props up, I, you know, I do it the way I wanna do it without any influence from anybody else to say, this is how I want it to be presented. It's all coming from me and what I feel uniquely qualified to offer. And you can do the same thing. You just have to identify what it is. Okay, so we are at the end of this episode. I wanna close with a call to action. So call to actions or CTAs are big in, in marketing jargon. You wanna always leave people with a CTA so they do something. And typically at the end of a podcast, I would say things like you know subscribe and all of that. I don't wanna leave you with that CTA. I want to leave you with a really powerful CTA that I actually doubt anybody will take me up on. And I don't know why that is. I, I don't know if people are just kind of on the fence or lackadaisical or worried or afraid. I don't know what it is, but I really am gonna put it out there and, and see, and see if I put it out there into the universe, like a dove into the sky, if it will come back. Here's my CTA for you. I covered a lot in this episode, and I covered a lot that's going to really require, if you're game for it, if you're up for it, that you put pen to paper and start to make a list. 
And sometimes the thought of doing that is overwhelming. So if you're feeling inspired and overwhelmed at the same time, I want you to take a deep breath and I want you to send me a DM on Instagram and say, Karen, I listened to your episode. I really need some help thinking through where do I want to go from here as a teacher? And I will walk through that with you. I'll brainstorm with you. I'll help you come up with a little bit more of a concrete approach to what you're going to do. Even if we just look at it as a June, July, August, or at this point, let's say July, August, September thing, let's even just look at it as a game plan to get you to nine one. And I am happy to do that with you for free, right? No, no cost, just as an opportunity for us to chat on the phone for, um, for you to have a sounding board to talk through this with um in the spirit of we don't often have anybody to talk through stuff like this with as teachers especially now where many of us haven't been in a studio with colleagues for over a year so all you need to do to set up that consult with me is go on my dm bare bones yoga let me know that you want to you want to do it reference this episode all right, so we are at the end of this episode. I never know how long these things are going to go. I don't even know how long this one went, uh, at least an hour. So if you're still listening, I see you, even though I don't literally see you, I feel your energy. And I really, really want to acknowledge you and thank you uh, for sticking with this episode. If you are listening at the end, that says to me that you do feel like it was of value. So I'd love to know what you thought. So send me a DM and let me know. Have a wonderful, wonderful first week of summer, friends. Uh, whenever you're listening to this, if you are listening to this when it first came out, uh, it's going to be uh, the first week of summer. So really enjoy it. And I hope to hear from you. And I hope you have a great week, great start of the summer. And I'll see you next week, as always, on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. Namaste. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian, and I just want to remind you, if you would like to get on the wait list for my two premier programs, the Blueprint Learning Program and my Mentorship Program, all you need to do is visit my website, barebonesyoga.com, and the links to get on the wait list for both of these programs are right on the homepage. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode.